Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz drum legend Barry Altschul. He is now promoting his latest 2017 CD, The Three Dom Factor, live in Krakow, and it's a great album. He is a self-taught musician who has learned a lot from stellar mentors over the year, like Charlie Persip during the 60s, then performing with the likes of Paul Blay, Chick Corea, and the great Dave Holland, along with many others. He talked openly about the world of jazz, and at 74, what is left to accomplish, along with much more. So get to know him and dig this very interesting cat, my friends. Okay, Barry, thank you for taking a minute out for me today. I appreciate it. Okay. So let me go ahead and start off here with your latest live album. Talk to me about this album. It's a great listen. I really enjoyed it, but I want to get your thoughts on it. Well, uh, it was uh, a, a gig that we did in Krakow, and the gig recorded it and, I, and, and has a record label and uh, offered to put it out. And that was the first time I was thinking about doing a, uh, another one. Upon listening to the tapes, we did a couple of sets. I picked uh, the music I thought would be fun to listen to and uh, put it together, and that's what's out there now. Let me ask you this. You know, Sonny Rollins always talked about, you know, his problem with recording was you don't capture that impromptu, that improv live essence. And he was always real happy with live recordings. Do you kind of feel like you get a little bit better of a sense of the the music that's happening when it's recorded live, or are you good with the studio as well? I feel better live. The studio, after the first or second take, isn't the same feeling anymore. So uh, I'd rather just do it live. The feeling is there. Uh, uh, and pick out the music uh, that would fit on the CD. Because the energy the creativity, and the togetherness of the group is actually, uh, of this particular group, it seems to be tighter when we're doing live dates. So let me talk about the beginnings of your life. And you grew up in New York, correct? Yes, in the Bronx, South Bronx, actually. Beautiful. What was it about your childhood that let you want not only to get into music, but more specifically jazz? I always wanted to get into music. My parents were uh, into music, uh, they, they immigrated from Russia and, and brought with them some cultural music. And uh, my father was an amateur uh, classical mandolinist who worked, uh, who, who put some time in the, I think it was called the New York Philharmonic Mandolin Orchestra. It was like a hundred mandolins or mandolins and, and that kind of thing. My mother was a choral singer. And my sister is a Juilliard graduate of uh, uh, classical piano. As far as jazz is concerned, when I grew up, that, that's what was being played on the radio. Big bands, the crooners, small groups, you know, uh, the 40s and the early 50s, was uh, I was already listening to the music. Uh, what brought me to jazz, I don't know, it seemed a natural place to be. <laughs> <laughs> From what I understand, you were largely self-taught, and... Uh, there was a lot of growth that you got with Charlie Purcell during the 60s. Talk to me a little bit about what you learned about not only being a drummer, but being a musician from Charlie. Besides some technical and musical things, he taught me about the importance of telling your story, the importance of having your own style, uh, the importance of uh, the music being a lifestyle, not just a, a, a hobby. And uh, taught me about the role that the drummers have played, were playing at that time, 
and where it could go. Uh, he was very open, or he is very open-minded, and uh, he was a great teacher. You know, the one thing that I've heard through the grapevine that's been in quotes is that Miles Davis, when he went to look for a band, the first thing he grabbed was a drummer because he said that's the most important part of the band. Now, as a drummer, you're going to be biased, but how important is it to have a solid drummer in a jazz outfit? Very important. They're the bus drivers, as well as stimulation. To know how to accompany someone is an art in itself. To know how to goose them is another art in itself. And, and, and uh, uh, also to contribute your own concept of things that helps drive the music and stimulate the other musicians. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. As someone that's not only a musician, but someone that's, you know, lent a lot of knowledge to other musicians over the years, you know, you've been able to play with a lot of people like we talked about, Charlie Persip, Chick Corea, Dave Holland. What did you, what have you gleaned over the years from playing with, with folks like that that have helped you be a good teacher to young players that you play around? What did I glean from them? Well, I'm not really sure. I know what it is to be a good teacher is to be able to take the student and and have him uh, as well as be technically adept and musically adept to be able to understand what it is that you're doing. It's, uh, uh, I mean, when you're up there uh, taking the solo, for example, it's not just something by rote. It's something that you must really dig deep inside yourself so your story comes out, your emotion comes out, and you're able to uh, have an audience be with you. Let me ask you about performing live. Has live performing always been natural to you? Has it always been a comfort for you to be on the stage and perform? Uh, it's a comfort for me to be behind the drum set. It's the most comfortable place for me on the planet. So if it's on a stage or in my apartment, I feel very comfortable, yes. Why did you pick the drums? Why was that your instrument of choice? Is anything that you could have picked, why was it the drum set? I don't know. <laughs> it picked me. <laughs> I mean, I started, my first instrument was piano. My second instrument was clarinet. Then one day I saw this guy in school. He was walking with drumsticks in his back pocket. And, I, and he showed me how to play uh, what was then called the mama-daddy role. And it just intrigued me, and that was it. I, I, I committed. Beautiful. You know, sometimes we're only as good as the teachers that we have in life. And I want to ask you this. Has there been any advice that you got or any pointers that you received from either a musician or a teacher that really stuck with you throughout all these years? Something you may think about before you go in the studio or hit the stage or just when you're playing drums in your apartment. What, is there any advice that roils through your mind? For me in particular, it's... Uh, don't be afraid to try something different. If the other musicians accept it spontaneously, that's fine. If they don't, uh, that didn't work with that particular group of people. But uh, I, I keep feeling that uh, the role of the instrument should always be expanding. There should always be some other place it can go. So, you know, one of the things that, beautiful about the artistic creative process is the longevity that goes into it. You've had a long, fruitful career, decades and decades of performing. What has been the key to you creating and growing and moving forward all of these years? What What is it for you? Oh, man, I don't really know. I've, I, my, my 
mentality hasn't really changed from the beginning. It was always uh, be there, know what you're doing, contribute, uh, be creative, have energy, and don't rest on, on any laurels. Keep trying to, to, to expand your own concept. I still feel that way. I was very influenced by people like Sam Rivers and Paul Blay, who are always expanding their concepts. They're always looking for something else that would, that would still contribute to the basic forms of the music. You know, you've seen a lot of changes in the world of jazz over the years. And speaking of that general philosophy, so to speak, of moving forward, how do you think the art form has progressed throughout the decades? Are you happy with where we're at with the world of jazz in 2017? Yes and no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel um, there are a number of musicians that are using the whole vocabulary uh, of the music. But there are many other musicians who are still stylistically inhibited. For me, the main growth of the music within the ten, past 10 or 15 years has been technically. I mean, these kids can play their asses off. They know the, their instruments. They know the chords. They know the changes. They know, but they're missing something from inside that still uh, hasn't... Uh, that they still haven't found. Uh, but there are a number of musicians, young musicians, that have found it and are playing great. Uh, people like uh, uh, Brian Blade or, uh, uh, and one of the youngest, Marcus Gilmore, uh, Nasheed Waits. Those drummers, to me, are embracing the, the whole vocabulary uh, of uh, the music whereas there's many musicians that are not uh, embracing, let's say, the last 20 or 30 years and are just technically evolving to, uh, to play what has been played. There's something that's missing in their feeling, in their knowledge, in their story. You know, at one point Terry Gibbs had mentioned to me that Charlie Parker almost seems like he was an alien dropped out of a spaceship onto Earth. Just there's no explanation. It's almost a once-in-a-lifetime. So to kind of play off of this answer here, with all these kids that are coming out of these very prestigious, well-groomed jazz programs and can technically nail it, do you think we're going to see an infusion of someone like even Dizzy or Charlie happen again with that much soul and that much technical ability? I hope so. <laughs> I, <laughs> I hope so. Um, for me, for the past, uh, oh, I don't know, number of years, the, there's been very little innovation. Even in the free areas of music, uh, I still feel there's been very little innovation. So let me ask you this. You've had a very fruitful career playing with so many people in so many venues all over the world. How do you feel about your career? How do you think everything's panned out up to this point in your life? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, well, I mean, in general, I feel very, very fortunate and very lucky to have been able to have a career and to be able to have sustained uh, making a living in the music uh, uh, to pay my bills. Uh, on, that, on one hand. On the other hand... I feel that I've been uh, pigeonholed, I guess, as an avant-gardist. You know, it serves me well, but isn't the complete me. Interesting. 
What is the complete you? Well, I would have liked to be able to uh, uh, play as a as a just as a drummer, play all styles, and not be pigeonholed into into what I have been pigeonholed into. I mean, I love swinging. I love playing on time and changes, uh, uh, as well as, as playing free. But uh, me, the times that I've come up, uh, there was uh, you, you were put into one side or another, and it was very difficult to get other kinds of gigs. So I've been very fortunate to get a lot of gigs, people like the Hampton Halls and and, and Art Pepper and Lee Konitz and Sonny Chris and people like people like that. But nobody knows it because I didn't get any publicity about it and there's been no recordings. You know, isn't that the problem with the music industry, though, is that they have to find some way of categorizing and labeling you? I mean, it seems to me as though that's a resistance from musicians, but that's what the industry kind of pushes. Isn't it kind of a catch-22? Yes, it certainly is, yes. Let me ask you this. Of all the fans and all the people that have heard your music, both live and in recordings, what do you think is one of the nicest compliments that you've received from a fan? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, one was that uh, we conceived our baby to your music. Yeah. Hey, I don't know if it gets any better than that. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> that's ultimate love right there, man. <laughs> so... Let me ask you a generic question, but it, it, it can be a difficult one. Why do you love jazz? You've dedicated your life to it. You clearly love it. So why do you love it? Oh, I don't know. It uh, it uh, makes me feel alive. It makes me look for things. It makes me not uh, uh, to be inquisitive. And I have a great time when I play. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, also, you know, and intellectually stimulating as well as yeah. technically stimulating. I mean, uh, uh, I, there were things that I used to hear in my head that there was no way uh, that I could find a technical book or, or someone to be able to get that out of my head. And Sam Rivers said, so write your own exercises, which was a fantastic uh, 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 idea for me because I was able to uh, write out things that I heard in my head so I could practice them. You know, the one, the, the beauty of, of having the opportunity, the fortunate opportunity to speak with you and, and someone that has so much history in jazz is that I always realize that everybody, whether you're a younger musician or you're somebody that's putting this great music out on the radio or someone that's curious in the world about the stories that you have and the history that you have, I want to ask you this. What responsibility... As a man that's 74 years old, seen everything you've seen, and you're looking into the future, what responsibility do all of the younger musicians, people like me, and the world that's interested in jazz, what responsibility do we have to keep this torch burning bright into the future? Keep an open mind. It's not really a choice. I mean, you do it. You have to do it. You don't do it, you go crazy. Respect your, the elder. Uh, learn from them. Uh, but don't be uh, put into a barrier because of them. So at your age right now, what's left to accomplish? Are there musicians you want to play with, albums you want to put out, a country that you haven't seen, an award that you may not have won? Is there something that you feel 
that you want to have to be a part of your enduring jazz legacy? All of the above. Nice. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> That's the best answer on a test. Just every single one of them. <laughs> so let me ask you this. When history does peel back the layers of this great medium of jazz and they come across your name, just a kid, eight-year-old kid tomorrow comes across your name, what do you want them to know about what you did from your heart and your soul, what you did for the world of jazz? What have you done? Well, I'm going to leave that to critics and other people. I, I mean, all I'm doing is playing what I hear and what I feel. If it if it's means something and helps the music in any way, then I'm gratified. So let me ask you this. This is my final question. Everyone has a version of you, your family, your friends, your fans, your business associates. But when you wake up and you face today, who do you think you are? What's your perception of who you are in the world? Oh, I'm a guy who plays music for a living and uh, hope to be on the cutting edge of creativity uh, for as long as my mind is intact. Beautiful. Barry, thank you for taking some time out. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for the music throughout all the years. And thank you for the interview. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Barry for his graciousness and his music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.